but I just, I walk in these days and see people and I just, I just kind of go, wow, praise God. And they haven't known them for years and years. And Valerie, David, she's getting pretty on you. Amen. All right. Let's uh, turn to 1 John. And we're going to continue this series through the book of 1 John. And I hope you folks don't mind if I go past 8 tonight. That doesn't really matter, does it? There's nothing on the babble box that we're missing. So let's stand together and read. We're going to begin at verse 5 and we're going to finish chapter 1. We're going to see what the Bible says about um, many things that have to do with discernment. Verse 5, 1 John. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. Matter of fact, I've got it up here. Let me put that up there real quickly. Let's just, we can read it together. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Verse 6, let's read it together. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, Can you imagine looking at Jesus and saying, liar? Mm -mm. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for opening your word to us tonight. Speak to us and feed us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, let me just take you back a little bit to last week. I love 1 John. This, this is one of the most powerful books. John floats like a butterfly and he stings like a bee. John will look at you and smile, tell you that he loves you, and then he'll punch you in the gut with a velvet glove and he tells the truth he's not out to, to, to worried about what we think of him and he doesn't need sensitivity training he's telling us the truth about our condition now let's uh, remember last time we saw that John wrote this letter first John he wrote it about 90 AD 60 years or so after Jesus had been crucified so we're talking 60 years beyond the crucifixion somewhere in there he wrote this letter now, last time we saw that John wrote this letter to counter the teaching of the Gnostics. And who are the Gnostics? Gnostic comes from a Greek word, gnosis. It's the word for knowledge or to know. And the Gnostics believed, they claimed that all matter was evil. If there was a good Gnostic in here, that Gnostic would believe that this is evil, this building is evil, everything created, all matter. Everything comprised of atoms is evil. Now, because they believed that, they believed and they taught, God could not have sent his son into the world in a fleshly body. Because according to the Gnostics, flesh, being matter, was evil. So it only, they said, appeared that he had come. And it seemed that he had walked among us. Remembering now, they couldn't get away with this in our day near as easily because we have video. Uh, you know, in, in the, if we had been back in the first century, if the crucifixion had happened now, it'd be videotaped. 
But all you had after the crucifixion and the resurrection was word of mouth. And so they were able to say, well, I, we can tell that this Jesus person, this Jesus you're talking about obviously had a large influence, a big influence, but what we're telling you is it only seemed that he was here. It only appeared that he was here. But he didn't really take on the form of flesh. And there was no way to counter that except by the power of the Spirit of God. So here's John writing this letter to counter this damaging teaching. So Christ, they said, was never born a man. Now this was heresy, but this heresy was troubling the church. It was sending shockwaves to the church, so much so that John, when he wrote this, he was living in Ephesus, and he wrote this disturbed because he saw the people of God disturbed, troubled by this teaching. It, they began to wonder, could this be? So you find John all through his first letter saying things like we saw in the first four verses. Hey, we saw him with our own eyes. We heard him with our own ears. We touched him with our own hands. Jesus said to them, put your hands in my, your fingers through my hands and my feet. And Thomas, put your hand in my side. Because I'm not a spirit, I've got flesh and bones. This is why John wrote and said, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has what, everyone? Come in the flesh is not of God. It's the spirit of Antichrist. Now you'll notice that John spends most of his letter separating truth from error. That's most of the letter of 1 John. He's separating truth from error, fact from fiction. So right off the bat, he comes out swinging at two more errors, not just the one the Gnostics were teaching. First, that there is evil with God. That was floating around the church. There was evil with God. Now we go, how could they say that? Isn't that what the devil said to Eve in the garden? Here's what he said to Eve. God lied to you. Well, that makes God evil. He lied to you because he doesn't want you being like him. So Eve, God lied to you. And, and the enemy doesn't use anything new. The enemy in our own minds, one of the greatest struggles we have, especially in a dry time, in an hour of temptation, in a wilderness time, is he will try to undermine the integrity and the intent of God in your mind. Has God said, do you really think God hears you? Do you really think he gives a flip what's going on with you? Do you really think God cares about you? And he'll attack the character and the integrity and the intention of God towards you. And if you buy it, you bite the apple. Just what Eve did. So there was evil with God. John's going to answer that. Second, that you can live in sin and still have fellowship with him. You can live in sin. There are churches in our day who won't even say the word sin. I've heard them interviewed. Oh, we don't talk about sin. My soul, would you go to a doctor who would not say cancer? I know you would like to go to one who didn't have to, but would you want to go to a doctor who would not say heart disease? Of course not. 
Because if you're going to defeat something, you've got to know what it is. But in our day, they don't talk about sin. They won't talk about the blood. They won't talk about the devil. They won't talk about warfare. It's called seeker-sensitive. And that means don't step on anybody's toes. So you can live any way you want and go to some churches and never be convicted. But you couldn't have gone to John's church because he would have said, my little children, what? <laughs> now, so let's look at this now. John, notice what he says. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John testifies that both he and others had heard Christ say this. And he uses the perfect tense to inform us that some 60 years later it was still ringing in his ears. Now I told you what the perfect tense is last week. Every once in a while I'm going to throw out a little Greek phrase, a little bit of Greek knowledge, and it's not anything to get worried about. The perfect, the, the, the Greek language is so superior to English. If I had, if I said, um, and I used this illustration last week, I'll use it again. If I told you 20 years ago I met Billy Graham, stoop, and just said, that was it, it was no big deal, I, I barely remember it, but I know it did happen. Say, okay, fine. But if I wanted to tell you that when I met Billy Graham, it impacted me, and it still does to this day. It still affects me. It still influences me. It still, I, I'll never forget it. It just, it changed me to this day. If I'm using English, I've got to tell you all that. I met Billy Graham, and i got to tell you all, I didn't wash my hand for a week. Shook his hand. I'll never forget it. His charisma, his kindness, his Christ-likeness, it affects me to this. And I would have to use sentence after sentence to explain to you that meeting him 20 years ago still impacts me to this day. But not in Greek. In Greek, you would just stick a little ending onto the verb. And it's called the perfect tense. I met, and you would just put the perfect tense ending on it, and that's all you need in Greek. If I see that, then I know something happened way back when, and it didn't just happen, but it's impacting me to this day. That's the perfect tense. So when John says, we saw him, he uses the perfect tense. And he says, when I saw him, it was 60 years ago. That's a lot of time to go by. I'm an old man now. But it's still impacting me to this day. He's still in my mind's eye. And I heard him. Perfect tense again. I heard him. I heard his teachings. And his teachings are still ringing in my ears. You can't encounter Jesus. I don't care how long ago it was, and forget about it. And so then he says, and we, we handled him, touched him. He told us to. And he used the perfect tense again. It happened way back then, but it's still impacting us today. We will never forget him. Now here he's telling us God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He's using the perfect tense because he says... He has, this is the message we have heard from him. Perfect tense. 60, 65 years ago we heard it. And, but when he told us that God is light, it's still ringing in our ears. Isn't that powerful? I mean, it's just like we heard him yesterday. 
That's what Jesus did. He never forgot him. And so we're telling you that God is light. Now James tells us, James comes along and really confirms it. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Why can God not be tempted by evil? Because there is no evil in him. He is pure light. He is fully light. And in him there is no darkness at all. In another place, James also calls God the father of lights. Well, you can't father lights unless you are light. Anything that is light and good that comes to you comes from the father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of change. He doesn't change one iota. The God we worshiped tonight is the same God they worshiped on the day of Pentecost. We must understand God's character as believers. This is so important. In all of his dealings with us, he acts only out of utterly pure and holy motive. Because he's light. David declared the Lord is righteous in all his ways. And gracious in all his works. And you say, well, why does it matter for me to understand that God is light? Because here's, here's why. Because you will become just like what you worship. You will become like what you worship. Now, I'm going to tell you a little secret about people. Everybody worships something because God made us worshiping creatures. We all worship. Just look at a rock concert. Look at a rock concert. Just look at it on TV for a minute. And you will notice worship. Those rock musicians, and they know it, are worshipped. Now, you see somebody worshiping a rock musician, then check out their life. I'll guarantee you it will not be diametrically opposed to the life of whatever they're worshiping. Because you will be formed and shaped and will become like whatever it is that you worship. You can't get away from it. See, it tells, it tells you a lot about somebody when you know what they worship. Matter of fact, when you get to know somebody, you'll find out what it is that they do worship because that's what's shaping them. David spoke of worshipers of false gods. And look what he said. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Now here's what some people worship. They would make their own gods. They have mouths, but they do not speak. How many of you want to worship a God who can't talk? If we worship a God who couldn't talk, we wouldn't be teaching a Bible tonight. He says, they have eyes. But they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't handle. Feet they have, but they don't walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Now read what's underlined with me, would you? Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts them. When you, whatever God you trust in, whatever God you worship, that's what you're going to become like. You can even worship yourself. OD on yourself. But everybody worships something. Everybody does. And so, so here's what David is saying. He's saying, what good does it do to worship a God who's just like us? I don't want to worship a God like me, do you? You know, even when you go back, way back into ancient times, you go back to Greek mythology, 
You take Homer's Iliad and Odyssey and Zeus and all those different gods. You notice they, they had power, but they were human. They, were, they had all the human foibles. They messed up, they made bad decisions, all kinds of things. They were not God like the God of the Bible. So see, when you worship, God's already told us. Look what God says. He says you can worship the God of your own choice, of your own making, or you can worship the real, true, and living God. And what does that God say? He says, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. And you're not like me. Let me elaborate. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. That's good to know. Because if his ways are my ways, how's he going to lead me anywhere? If his ways are my ways, we're all in trouble. We, we need to be worshiping a God who can lead us higher. But the only way he can lead us higher is if he's not like us. And see, in our day, people are so much trying to, to here's a big theological word, but it's called anthropomorphize or turn into a man God. We try to turn him into an anthropos, a man. We give him God-like features, or I mean man-like features and man-like characteristics, man-like character. Jesus is somebody... I've read books where Jesus supposedly walked into somebody's room and took them by the hand and said, can I have this dance? I'm telling you, if anybody walks into my room, I don't know, and says, can I have this dance? I ain't dancing. I want to know what that is. I don't think Jesus walks into rooms and asks people to dance. What are you doing? You're anthropomorphizing God. God wants us to know, I'm way, way up there. And I'm not like you. As the heavens are higher than the earth, that's high. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen? Amen. So we worship a God who's always calling us upward, and he can because he is upward. He's not like us. He's changing us from glory to glory and faith to faith into his image. So verse 5, and this is sort of an expanded translation out of the Greek language. Let's read it together, can we? And there exists this message which we have heard from him, and at present is ringing in our ears. And we are bringing back tidings to you, that God as to his nature is light, and darkness in him does not exist, not even one bit. Can we give him a hand of praise tonight? Isn't that good news? Amen. All right, now verse 6, if we say that we have, here we go now, now John's going to deal with another error. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, then we're lying. Now let's look what he says, fellowship. What does fellowship mean? To have joint participation with someone else and things possessed in common by both. Also comradeship or companionship. Now John is saying I've seen people in the church, I've seen them, and they're going around saying, I've got fellowship with him. I'm in fellowship with God. Now John's going to say, let me just separate truth from error. He says, if you're walking around in darkness and you're saying you have fellowship with God, you're lying. 
and you're not practicing the truth. The person claiming fellowship with God is claiming to have things in common with God. Common likes and dislikes, a common nature, wherein fellowship, companionship is the result. Yet the person John presents in verse 6 is walking around in darkness. That means they're doing works of darkness. They're not walking in the light. And he says that he is conducting his life in the sphere of the darkness of sin. Now, I want you to notice something with me. John, in verse 6, does not say, if you say you're fellowship with him and you're walking in darkness, you're lying. He doesn't say you've lost your salvation. He says you've lost fellowship. You've lost fellowship. Anytime we make the decision to depart from the truth and walk about in darkness, and that's what that word, walk, Peripateo, it means to, to walk around in the sphere of only darkness. You're in works of darkness. You're living contrary to the truth that he has shown you. He says, if you choose to do that, you've made your choice, but you need to know there's no fellowship with God in that place. It's broken. It's broken. And you're going to begin to experience dryness, Darkness, misery, unrest, there's no fellowship with God. It's broken. That's what the blood came to do, put us in fellowship with him. So here's the deal. As long as you walk around in the light, you got fellowship with God. you got things in common. He can talk to you. But when you go off into darkness, the moment you do, fellowship is broken. There's no fellowship. The verb tense used for walking means habitually, habitual action. John says that no one totally walking about in the sphere of sin with no acts of righteousness is possibly in fellowship with God. Very important. That word walking is put in the present tense. It's not perfect tense, it's present tense. Present tense means to ongoingly be doing something. So it's talking about somebody who, it's not talking about somebody who has a flat tire and cusses. It's not talking about somebody who has a bad day and walks around with a bad attitude. It's talking about somebody who leaves the path of life and begins to walk in the sphere of darkness. Fellowship is broken. He doesn't say anything about losing your salvation. He says there's no more fellowship with you. The lifeline is cut off. And you're, on a, and you're in dangerous territory when you do that. Dangerous, church. I don't believe that a Christian can be possessed by a devil, but I do believe a Christian can be oppressed by a devil. And God is not obligated to protect us if we leave the sphere of light and begin to walk around in the sphere of darkness. Now, he'll intervene. He'll chase you. He'll come after you. But if you leave the path of light, here's what he said, and you break fellowship with God, and you grieve the Holy Ghost, and you cut that lifeline... That's dangerous. Dangerous. Because a shroud of darkness will come over you. See what I mean? He has a velvet glove. But he's telling us the truth. So he's, he's telling these people who are faking it in the church, he's saying, don't tell me you're fellowshipping with him. 
if you're walking around in works of darkness and you know it, you're not fellowshipping with him. John calls that person a liar. John, you need sensitivity training. You should call them mistaken. You should blame it on their daddy. You should tell them they're just human. He says, you're a liar. Huh. Ouch. Boy, I'd preach big in some churches, wouldn't it? Call me a liar, I'll pull my tithe. Now look at verse 6. Here's the expanded, just translating straight out of the Greek. Let's read it together, can we? If we say that fellowship we are having with him and in the sphere of aforementioned darkness are habitually ordering our behavior, we are lying and we are not doing the truth. Say, praise God or oh me. Oh, that's good. We need to hear this. You know? Now, verse 7, but if we walk, same verb tense, which means to habitually do something, if we are habitually walking in the light as he is in the light, what do we have, everybody? Fellowship with one another. Now, is that talking about I have fellowship with you and you with me if I'm walking in the light? Who's it talking about? Us and God. Because that's what he was talking about in verse 6. So the we in verse 7 is talking about if, if I walk in the light, in the truth that I understand and that I know, if I, to the best of my ability, am obeying the promptings of the Holy Ghost, then I have fellowship with Him. But the cool thing here is John is not just talking about fellowship with other believers, but fellowship with God, and it's reciprocal. Not only does right living bring us into fellowship with God, but God promises to reciprocate and fellowship with us if we will walk about in the sphere of light. And that just means obeying the truth. You know, 90% of Christianity is just obedience. It's not going to work if we don't obey. It does not work. It just won't work. So you can't go out and say, well, Christianity didn't work for me. That's impossible. It means you didn't work with Christianity. Because if we'll do what he says, he says, I'm going to fellowship with you. Isn't that what Jesus said in Revelations? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you open the door and let in the light, let me in, I will come in and fellowship with you and you with me. It's a reciprocal relationship. So you get up and say, Lord, today my commitment is to walk in the light. I'm going to walk in the light. And I know it's a guarantee if I walk in the light, he's going to fellowship with me because now we've got things in common. I'm agreeing with him. I'm obeying him. I'm not fighting him all the time. And then there's another promise in that verse. Not only that, but look what it says. It says in verse 7, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will cleanse us from all sin." So the blood of Jesus keeps constantly cleansing us from sins of omission, sins of ignorance, sins we know nothing about in our lives, sins that we have not grown in maturity enough to recognize as sin. All these are ongoingly cleansed by the blood if we walk about in the sphere of the light. So things that you don't even know are sinful. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, I can look back and, and, and see a number of years ago attitudes that I, I copped around and harbored, and now if I harbored that attitude, I would immediately see it. But I didn't see it 10, 20 years ago. There are things that, you know, you've heard the saying, others may, you cannot. Well, how come others may and I cannot? Because you know more. Because you've been around longer. As we grow and mature in him, you become sensitive to things that you weren't sensitive to 10 years ago. But here's the good news. If you walk around in the light, then things that you don't even know are wrong, his blood cleanses so that you can maintain fellowship with God. Thank God for the blood. I mean, thank God for the blood that washes all sin. So here's the expanded, let's read it together. But if within the sphere of the light we are habitually ordering our behavior as he himself is in the light, fellowship we are having with one another and the blood of Jesus his son keeps continually cleansing us from every sin. Isn't that good news? Now we come to verse 8. Now John says to those who say, I have no sin. If we say, I have no sin, I have a hang-up. I have a problem. I have a temporary setback. I have an addiction. You know what? We need to get back to calling things sin. Because if we say that we don't have a sin, he's not talking here about the act of sin but he's addressing those who say, I don't even have a sinful nature. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all basically good. <laughs> Is that what the Bible says about you and me? Does the Bible say we're naturally good? What does it say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Before you're saved, you're not okay. And I wasn't okay. And you know what? If we sin at that moment, we're not okay. Sin needs to be dealt with or sin will kill you dead. No good thing ever comes out of it. So he's, he's dealing now with this pride that comes in people. He says, I don't have any sin. Don't tell me I'm in sin. I'm a basically good person. The Bible says until we're saved, we're children of wrath, not children of God. Not everybody out there is a child of God. If you're not washing the blood of the Lamb... You're not a child of God. you created by God, but you're not a child of God until you're saved. You're a child of the devil, according to the Bible, and a child of wrath until you're saved. Now try preaching that on ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN. You wouldn't make it out the door. They'll kill you for saying that, but it's true. You're not going to get healed until you admit that. If we say that we have no sin, he's addressing again the Gnostics who taught against the sinful nature passed down from Adam. They said there's no such thing. John says, if you say that, you're a liar. In verse 6, John says, we're lying to others. But in verse 8, he says, if you say I have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. And that's the worst person to lie to. Worst person to lie to is you. If you lie to you, you'll lie to everybody else. If you're truthful with you, your lie will be truthful with others. There's two people you've got to be truthful with. 
God and you. If you want to be whole. So let's read the expanded. If we say that sin we are not having, ourselves we are leading astray. And the truth is not in us. All right, now we come down to the one we all know. If we confess our sins. In other words, I agree with you, Lord. I, I, I agree. As a matter of fact, that's what confess means. It means to say the same thing as another. Or to agree with another. So to confess a sin means to say the same thing about, that God does about the sin. The verb confess in verse 9 is in a tense that speaks of continuous action. This teaches us that the, the constant attitude of the believer towards sin should be one of a contrite heart, ever eager to have any sin in the life discovered by the Holy Spirit, ever eager to confess it and put it out of the life by the power of that same Holy Spirit. The only way we're ever going to get whole is if we agree with God and His take on our sin. So you can't, don't look at God and say, I've got a hang-up. I have a sin, and I agree with you about it. It's horrible, it's black, it's dark, it's deadly, and it crucified Jesus. So please forgive me. And the minute you agree with God, that's Bible confession. So it says that when you do that, God will dismiss it as in a debt. It's not between a lawbreaker and a judge as when we are first saved. In 1 John 1, 9, it's between a father and his child. That forgiveness immediately restores what? Fellowship. Because until the forgiveness and confession and forgiveness come, there's no fellowship. There's only conviction. And there is a broken relationship with God. It'll kill you to live in sin as a believer. It'll kill you. Kill you. Because you're not talking to, to your dad, all right? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness means to wash away the defilement which you incurred by sinning. Have, how many of you have ever sinned and you say, Lord, forgive me. You knew you were forgiven, but you still felt dirty. You still felt dirty. Look at all of you with halos over your head. <laughs> That's the defilement. That feeling of being dirty, dirtied by the sin, is defilement. So he says, I know that. I know what sin does. So I'm not only going to forgive you, but my blood also cleanses the defilement. So you don't have to go around feeling dirty. And if after you have repented, and you still do, the devil's trying to run a number on your mind. Receive the forgiveness of God and the cleansing of defilement. Amen? So let's read the expanded, and we're almost done. If we continue to confess our sins, faithful is he and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every unrighteousness. Verse 10, and we're done with the chapter. If we say that we have not sinned, well, didn't he just say that in verse 8? It's different. In verse 8, John dealt with the denial of the sinful nature. But in verse 10, he's dealing with the denial of sinful acts. In verse 8, it's people who say there isn't sin in the human race. There's no such thing as sin. We're just working through problems. But in verse 10, it's somebody who has sinned, and God is trying to deal with their sin, and they're denying it. 
They're in denial. They have somehow justified it. Now here, he gets heavy. There's no healing of our soul, no restoration to fellowship with him without the admission and the confession of sin. If we sin and he starts trying to convict us and we deny it, then he says his word has not penetrated your life. Mm. His word is not prevailing in your life. Your own stubborn will is. If you deny it long enough, you know what will happen? You'll start believing you didn't sin and you'll steer your conscience. Now we got real trouble. So the best thing to do is keep short accounts with God. And, and when you sin, go to the one, go to the one who is our propitiation. The one who can forgive us. And so John deals with three things in chapter 1. He deals with the lie that he was never born a man. He was. Amen? And he deals with this whole thing of I can sin and still have fellowship with God. No, you cannot. You've got to get everything on the table with God. Can we stand together tonight? This blessed you tonight. Can you say amen or owe me or something? Now next week, chapter 2, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Oh, I wish I could teach that right now because it's so rich. But we're learning how to walk with God. How many of you are thankful that you can go to him and say, forgive me? And he forgives you. And wash is a way defilement. Father, we thank you that John told us the truth. Help us, Lord, to be a people who walk about in the sphere of light, who do not walk in darkness, and if we do sin, to keep short accounts with God. Help us, Lord, to glorify you by walking in the light, keeping our conscience clear. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb and for the operation of the work of the Spirit of God. Lord, keep us in the light, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight. We've got snacks and treats and coffee and things. Stay around and fellowship with one another. You have things in common.